Welcome to the Plan Podcast. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm your host, Josh Codes, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andy IRL. Before we get into tonight's topic, a quick shameless plug, follow us on all our socials, at Pro-Life Advocacy Network on TikTok and Instagram, and at Pro-Life Team on X. Shoot us a DM if you have questions or show ideas, or if you'd like to be a guest on a future show. Also, join us on Rumble and subscribe on YouTube at Pro-Life Advocacy Network, where all of our episodes will be posted. And with that, let's get into it. All right, welcome to our second event, everybody, articulating the pro-life stance. Tonight, we are joined again by Andy, also known as Andy IRL, and Evelyn, also known as Leftist Dropout, with a goal of unpacking the pro-life stance to better understand the pro-life position. We hope that the takeaway here tonight is for all of you to learn something and to use that understanding to better explain the uh, to the other side why we believe what we believe, and that you end up better equipped to have a more productive, effective discussion to further the movement. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that everybody knows who both of y'all are. But just in case, uh, Kale, do y'all want to go ahead and uh, introduce yourselves? Yeah, uh, my name is Evelyn. I go by leftist dropout on social media. Um, I used to be a leftist, a communist, pro-choice, all that crap. And I changed in the past like two and a half years, and now I'm a strong advocate for uh, unborn children. And I am Andy IRL, co-founder of Plan, co-host of the Plan podcast. Find me on social media at Andy IRL official. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's talk a little bit about y'all's like the core beliefs behind, uh, like at least the pro-life stance that that we hold uh, or that we should hold. Um, so what is your argument for being pro-life and how would you articulate your position? This is to both of you, whoever would like to answer first. Sure, so obviously we're pro-life. Um, I would say that ultimately it just comes down to the responsibility that parents have to care for their children. Um, when we talk about it in the context of a debate or the abortion conversation, we just refer to this as parental obligation. Um, you can really call it whatever you want, whether it's parental, guardianship, you know, the, the terminology I don't think matters too much. Typically, I just refer to it as parental obligation because I would say that it always starts with the biological parent and then it can be always transferred to somebody else uh, at a later point, but it always initially starts with the biological parent. Um, and when we talk about why this exists in the first place, um, ultimately, all of our arguments are going to come down to intuition. I would say that um, when we're talking about it, not just humans, but mammals in general, um, the only way that we're going to further our species um, or you know continue to exist in any capacity is if we, as adults, care for our young. Um, and it's just intuitive that we should be obligated to do this. Now, when we talk about it um, from the pro-choicers perspective, they're going to agree that this exists to some extent as well. They're just going to argue that it starts at a later point. Um, now, you will have some people argue that it it doesn't exist at all. And the only reason that any obligation would exist is because they consensually opted into this thing. Um, but when you start talking about their positions, you'll see that they don't actually hold that stance. So 
generally, most people are going to agree that it it exists to some extent. Um, we're just arguing over when it starts. Um, yeah, I would say that I kind of believe the same thing as Andy. Um, I basically, I'm pro-life because I believe that all human organisms have value and ought to have the rights protected um, because of their nature. Um, their nature is something that would require like an hour-long discussion about what their nature is, but in short, it's about pretty much higher rationale, um, the ability for higher learning and intelligence. Um, I would say that there is no significant difference between zygotes and neonates, and I would say that it's on the pro-choicers to provide me with a significant distinction morally between these two things. I have not been presented with one um, that does not lead to very unintuitive reductios, so for now and forever, honestly, <laughs> um, I'm just going to stick with the very, very intuitive fact that human organisms um, are valuable from the moment that they exist and they ought to be protected. Yeah, and that's really like the argument for our position. Like I said, we both agree that it exists to some extent. It's just a case of when this obligation begins. And we would just argue that it begins at conception because that's when this new human organism comes into existence. And we would just argue that all living humans are deserving of the same rights as other, every other living human. Um, and if the pro-choicer is going to say that you have to be a living human plus something else, then I would just ask them what that something else is and why it matters. And then we kind of get into um, talking about their stance and, and maybe critiquing their stance a bit. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to the next question of moral, con moral considerations. Excuse me. Um, so how do y'all balance the rights conflict before or between the mother's right to bodily autonomy and the unborn's right to life? Um, so I think that like most things, if we're talking like realistically, most conflicts in our country and in our world are like, there's going to be situations where there are rights conflicts. Um, we saw this even with, you know, COVID and with slavery and with so many other issues um, in the world. Rights conflicts are not easy discussions. Um, but I think when we start talking about um, which rights matter more or which rights are going to trump others i think it will come down to kind of particular situations i think specifically in the case of pregnancy um the fetus's right to live um, and to continue on their life is definitely more important than um than the nine months of pregnancy um, i understand that pro-choicers will try to make pregnancy out to be a rights infringement um, i would have some contentions with that i don't know if it is but even if we accept that it is a rights infringement um, I would still say that um, the right to a being to live and the right for a child to have its mother and father care for it, protect it, um, take care of its needs, um, intuitively uh, would trump any type of bodily autonomy infringement. Um, and I think like like Andy was saying earlier, pro-choicers might bring up contentions with this and bring up hypotheticals and everything, but they're going to have to ground um, why they think that a mother's bodily autonomy is more important than her child's life. And most often, sorry if you can hear my clumper cells in the background, um, but most often their contentions are simply going to be um, unintuitive, number one, and also will come with plenty of contradictions. So, um, yeah, I think that when it comes to parents specifically, just to kind of shorten it down, I think that parents always, always must give up um, their bodily autonomy to care for their children. I think that's very intuitive for most people. Yeah, when we're talking about rights conflicts, you know, and just rights in general, we're going to say you're your rights are going to end when they start to begin to infringe on somebody else's rights. Um, now, if we're talking about 
the mother's right to bodily autonomy versus the fetus's right to live, uh, we're going to acknowledge that the right to bodily autonomy is not absolute. Um, we can and we we should limit what people are allowed to do with their body. Um, if we're going to acknowledge that a parent has some sort of obligation at some point to care for their child to some degree, then they're already acknowledging that their right to do what they want with their body is is limited. So then the onus is really going to be on them to tell us why it should only be limited after this point and not before this point. And why should it be limited to this degree and not, you know, more than that? Yeah. And they're not going to be able to really give, at least from what I've heard from pro-choicers, they haven't been able to give like any real reason behind that. Like it, it like Andy said before, it does come down to intuitions. However, like pro-choicers saying that like, yes, parents must sacrifice, for instance, in the, the breastfeeding reductio in the Snowden cabin, I'm sure we've all heard it. Um, in that scenario, they would say that yes, parents have to sacrifice their bodily autonomy. So really all we're doing is we're saying that they have to sacrifice their bodily autonomy earlier than a pro-choicer would say they have to. Um, so I think it's good to kind of um, press them and, and, and help them understand that they believe the same thing that you do. I, th I don't think I've ever met anyone who thinks that parents never have to sacrifice anything for their children, right? I think we all intuitively agree that they have to sacrifice something at some point. Um, so I think it's a good thing to try and like level with them and get on their level about um, when they believe that parents should have to sacrifice things for their children, and then just try and bring it back to conception when that child exists. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, most people are going to say, for a born child, you at least need to make a phone call to somebody else and tell them, hey, there's this kid here. I don't want it anymore. You need to come pick it up so you can take care of it. And if they're going to concede to having to do something, then they're going to have to justify why they have to take that action and no other action. And if they concede that you ha they have to take some action, then there's not really a reason why they shouldn't have to do all of these other things as well. At least they haven't been able to articulate that at this point. So talked about like the considerations here, but do you have... Uh any type of exceptions like what exceptions would either of you make for abortion and how do you address the critiques for the exceptions that you may be posed with or that some people may make but that you don't yourselves make yeah i think when we're talking about exceptions we first need to understand how the term abortion is being used in the discussion so People are going to argue that abortion, the term, means different things, and you can pretty much use whatever definition you want for the word, as long as we both understand how the word is being used. Now, if we're just talking about abortion to mean the deliberate termination of a pregnancy, then I'm going to say the only time that I think you should be able to do this um, outside of you know a natural birth is for a medical reason, something out of medical necessity. So if the mother is going to die, if she doesn't terminate the pregnancy, then I think she should be able to do this. And the reason that I would say that that's okay is because that's the same standard that I would hold outside of utero. If there's another living human that's putting your life in imminent danger to the point where you're going to die, if you don't end their life because of the actions they're taking, then I would say that you're justified in ending that life. I don't think anyone is required to self-sacrifice. They certainly can if they want to, but I don't think anyone should be required to self-sacrifice. Um, now, when we're talking about other things like rape, then I don't think that we should be making exceptions. And we can talk about why I don't make those exceptions maybe a little later. Um, I don't know if we want to get into that now or not. Josh, let me know um, um, what you want to talk about right now. 
Well, we can we can talk about just the main exceptions that you make right now, which obviously is the medical exception. Um, okay. But but like, I think one of the things that we could also kind of address is these kind of weird critiques that that have popped up about how like there are some pro-choicers and and it's becoming more common with maybe the the lesser ad, like adept or the more like not as well versed in philosophy the idea that like well you how can you be pro-life and make the medical exception what would you say to somebody like that yeah so i i think people and i do hear this in debates a lot too people will make the argument that oh if you're pro-life you have to be pro-life in every scenario and really when we say that we're pro-life we're only talking about being anti-abortion um and the reason that I would say that this still falls in line with our stance is because, again, it's the same standard that I'm holding outside of utero. So I'm being consistent as far as if someone is putting your life in imminent danger, you are justified in ending their life to save your own. Outside of that, you would not be. So I don't look at this as an elective uh, termination of the pregnancy uh, because it's being done out of medical necessity. I would say that I, yeah, I only make the medical exception as well. I would say when we talk about essay exceptions, um, severe disabilities or um, incest or stuff like that, I think that all of these things can be, um, like they, they can be fought against simply by talking about parental obligation. Um, obviously with the disability thing, I think that that's completely crazy to say that we should just be able to kill people because they're disabled. Um, and with the essay thing, broadly, I would say that, yeah, I don't think that the child is responsible or should get the death penalty with, for what the father did, um, but we can go deeper into that later. Sorry, my club of cells is screaming right now. Hold on. You're all, you are completely fine. I think that one of the biggest things that we can do um, to kind of combat some of these critiques is just talk about the reasons that are being brought up as to why abortion should be allowed and see if we would hold those same standards um, to the, a child after it's born. Um, so if we're going to hold the same standard outside of utero as they would inside of utero, then you know maybe that's an exception that we could talk about. But if they're going to hold a different standard outside of utero, then I'm going to need to ask, or they're going to need to explain why the standard would be different. And, and a lot of times, like what we end up finding out is that it really has nothing to do with the exception itself that someone's trying to argue for. And it really just comes down to they don't view the unborn uh, to have the same value or the same rights as the born, uh, which really is where the conversation lies. And it's not so much with the exception itself. Do you have any, uh, do either of y'all have any critiques for the exceptions that you don't make as far as like why you don't necessarily make those exceptions? Yeah, so if we're talking about um, the essay exception, for example, I would say that there's nothing different about that child regardless of how it's conceived. So I wouldn't apply rights to it any differently either. Um, we can all agree and people will try to um, really focus on the initial rights violation that occurred um, when that child was conceived. And we can all agree that, yeah, obviously that woman's rights were violated when that happened. But that wouldn't justify, in my mind, committing what I would argue is another rights violation in ending that unborn life. And I, most of us are going to agree, I think 
I think the majority of people would agree that it wouldn't be a justification for ending the life outside of utero after the child was born. So uh, again, I would just ask them, you know, if I'm going to hold a different standard outside of utero, why should I allow this in utero? I see, I see a question and, and we'll definitely have Q and a later towards the end, but I think it'd be, um, relevant to maybe just answer this question now, but somebody asked about maybe a mental health exception. Um, when we're talking about medical exceptions, I would say that this is related to physical health only. If it's something that's going to be a physical danger to the mother's health, then uh, I would say, yes, she should be allowed to terminate the pregnancy. And also just a, a quick note about that. When we're talking about terminating the pregnancy, I would say that even in the case of medical necessity, we should always be doing it in such a way that that just terminates the pregnancy and doesn't intentionally end the life first. Once it's outside of her body, we should always be trying to save both lives. So we should be trying to save that that now born child's life as well, regardless of how early it's being born and regardless of how unlikely it is that it's going to survive. We can all acknowledge that the earlier this happens, the less likely it is that we're going to be able to do much of anything in order to ensure its survival after it's born. But that should always be the goal. We should never intentionally end its life first. We should always just remove it from the mother's body, even when it's a medical necessity, and then try to save its life afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, but when we're talking about mental health, I would say that mental health is a little different because the the pregnancy itself isn't uh, causing the mother to be in this state of imminent danger. It's going to be her mental condition that might be driven by the pregnancy. But I think that we should address that mental situation with other treatment aside from allowing her to end her unborn child's life. Because again, we wouldn't hold this standard outside of utero. We wouldn't say, hey, if you say that you're going to end your life uh, unless you're able to end your kid's life, we wouldn't say that it's okay to end your kid's life. We would get medical treatment, uh, even if that means you know being institutionalized for some time being in order to get that person the mental health and ensure that they aren't a danger to themselves or others for that period of time. You know, we wouldn't allow her to do this outside of utero. So I don't think we should allow it inside of utero either. Mm -hmm. It's really just being consistent with the standards that you're holding. It's, it's interesting because like with, with these critiques, we can sometimes find ourselves, especially as new pro-lifers, kind of like having, having these challenges and overcoming some of these things that are posed to us. So like in dealing with these types of things, what do you think are like, especially for newer pro-lifers or people who are newer to debate or maybe don't have like a strong fundamental idea or um, like knowledge base of philosophy, what do you see as the main challenges in holding the pro-life stance? And generally speaking, how do you feel like the best way to overcome them is? Well, I think some of the main challenges of um, – holding like my particular pro-life stance and the parental obligation is just that people are going to argue that, you know, either it doesn't exist at all when in reality they agree that it does exist um, or just, you know, typically that it doesn't exist until a later point. Um, people are going to argue that, you know, we aren't empathetic or we could never put ourselves in the shoes of somebody else. Uh, we could never understand why somebody else might want to do this. They should be allowed to do these different things for different reasons. Um, and a lot of times, 
you know, we maybe just come off as very unempathetic when that's, you know, not the case at all. I think from our position, we can be empathetic and put ourselves in their shoes. Um, but when we're having the conversations, we need to do our best to take as much emotion out of the conversation as we can. And I think that's something that I see it on both sides, people arguing from a state of emotion rather than really discussing the facts and logic behind things. Um, but I think it's something that we we do a better job of on our side and have to do a better job of, of taking the emotion out of it and really focusing on the conversation itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. that's probably I'm, one of the oh. biggest issues that we have. Yeah, I think kind of along that same vein, but a little different. Um, I think the biggest thing for pro-lifers who aren't as, I would say, seasoned in the debates is um, getting trapped by the red herrings that pro-choices will throw at you. Um, Like Andy was saying how like, oh, we're not empathetic. We don't care about mothers. We don't care about people in poverty. We don't care about disabled people, whatever, because we think that they should have the right to live, which is crazy. But you know, they'll bring all these things at us. And I think a really good skill that people need to learn when they're debating abortion is to identify these these red herring arguments, these arguments that aren't talking about what, you know, about what we're talking about. They're not talking about the uh, the morality behind abortion. They're just trying to pivot the conversation to, oh, what about all these other suffering people? What about all these other issues in the world? And I think it's good to to understand how to address these problems, like the foster care argument, the poverty argument, the disability argument, it's good to understand how to address these things. But I think it's also really good to be able to identify when these things are happening so that you're not just going down the rabbit hole with a pro-choicer and and end up arguing about the foster care system for two hours instead of actually addressing why they think it's okay to kill human beings. Um, So identifying red herring arguments, identifying when they're just... um, trying to pivot to something else is a very important skill and doing it gracefully, you know, not just being like, oh, that has nothing to do with abortion. And then just, you know, getting mad at them or yelling at them, you know, it's just identifying, okay, this doesn't really have anything to do with abortion. So I can answer your questions, but I would really like to just to have you address, you know, my questions first to have us talk about the morality of abortion before we get into those things. So, you know, doing it kindly, but being able to identify that so you don't fall down that rabbit hole with them. Yeah, I think that's a great point because we see this all the time in, I would say, almost every debate um, where people try to bring up different topics that might seem related to the abortion topic, but ultimately have nothing to do with whether um, you know the idea of abortion and the morality behind abortion um, is correct or not, You know whether it should be allowed or not. So when they start bringing up these different things, like Evelyn said, we can... We can address them, um, but really I think we should try to keep the conversation on track because if we start to go down the path of answering questions about all of these different red herring arguments, we're, we're never really going to get back to the actual topic that we're discussing and we're really just distracting ourselves and making the conversation about something else. Um, but like she said, we definitely have to do this in a graceful manner. So like, you know, like being mindful of our tone and our words and how we're directing the conversation back to abortion is super important. But I think ultimately we have to do our best not to fall into the traps of engaging in those red herring conversations, at least when we're having, you know, like the the typical discussion with people. There are some times where we have discussions with people, maybe we've talked to them a bunch of different times, or the conversation is just not your typical debate conversation. And you're kind of opened up to 
uh, being able to talk about some of those different things. But I would say in your typical conversation, we should steer clear of having those conversations because they really just detract us from the actual discussion. Mm -hmm. One thing that I will say is that like the being able to be graceful and kind of move forward in the conversation uh, is, is fantastic. Right. But like, what is there like a go-to thing that you use? I know I've heard you and Evelyn both say like, well, you know, you do like a quick, a quick kind of like thing of like, well, no, that that's unrelated. This is why let's get back to the topic. Is there a kind of like a template or something that you mentally go by to kind of make sure that you keep that same tone and you, you keep that same grace to go forward with, to, to try and make sure that you, optically are seen as like addressing this but also bringing it back to the conversation's topic at hand one of the the things that we want to do is acknowledge what they're saying first we can tell them that you know it's not relevant to the topic um but i i don't just say hey this isn't relevant let's get back to abortion i can tell them you know it's not necessarily relevant or i can acknowledge that you know it's an important thing that we should discuss at some point but it's not necessarily relevant to the conversation. And here's why it's not relevant. And I kind of explain, you know, briefly why it's not necessarily relevant to the topic at hand and then move it back to abortion. And the the things that I say as far as why it's not relevant are really just going to depend on what the argument is that they're bringing up. Um, so like if it's foster care, for example, you know, we'll explain yeah, I agree. Like, I think we all can agree that there are issues with the foster care system, right? One, uh, however, we, like abortion has been legal for the past 50 years and the abortion, uh, the foster care system hasn't been great for the last 50 years. So abortion isn't going to solve that problem. Two, when we're talking about um, not allowing abortion, we're talking about people who would then give their children up for adoption if they choose not to raise their kids. We're talking about people who would give their children up for adoption as newborns. And we can go over the statistics around newborn infant adoptions being, you know, a hundred percent of newborns being adopted. So they wouldn't be going into the foster care system anyway. And nobody's going to be advocating for, you know, ending the life of your eight year old, you know, rather than putting them into the foster care system. So it's just a couple real quick reasons why the conversation about foster care, while we can agree it's important, it's not relevant to the abortion discussion. So let's bring it back to abortion. Yeah, I adding on to that, I um, basically everything Andy said, I agree with as well. But like, I also would add on to that. Um, it does depend on who you're talking to. So I will say this might vary. But generally, if people bring up foster care, um, I try to this is kind of a way where you're addressing their argument, but you're also sticking to um, like the fundamental morality of abortion. Normally what I say is, um, you know, I kind of direct them down the path of what Andy was saying, where like, you know, children who are in foster care are there because their their parents couldn't care for them, drugs, abuse, whatever happened there. Um, it's not just like a newborn child goes into the foster system. So I try to ask them a question like, well, if you see that there's a foster child who is suffering in some way, do you think that it's okay to unalive that child? Um, every time they're going to say, no, of course not. So then I kind of, my big question that I ask them is why is it okay to kill people before they experience abuse or neglect or hardship, but it's not okay to kill them while they're experience it, experiencing it so that they don't experience it further. 
Um, Because that kind of brings it back to abortion while still addressing their foster care argument. Um, And every single time they're going to say, well, obviously you can't just kill someone because they're suffering. So I think a really great question to ask them, once you've gotten to this point, don't just lead with this question, but once you've gotten to the point where you um, have talked to them about killing foster care children, I think it's really good to ask them that question of why is it okay to kill people because of perceived potential suffering, but it's not okay to kill them when they're actually suffering. Um, most times they won't have an answer to that. And that's also, I found at least like a satisfactory way of answering it so that they don't feel like you're just ignoring them and not listening to their contentions with your argument or their problems with the pro-lifers. You're addressing it, but you're also keeping it centered to the fundamentals of abortion. Yeah. And if they, if they don't want to just go back to the abortion discussion and they kind of push discussing the foster care issue, we can ask them things like, okay, well, if the foster, if we fixed all of the problems that you perceive with the foster care system, would you then say that abortion should be illegal? And when they say no, ask them why. Well, why should abortion still be allowed if the foster care system were perfect? And then we start to talk about the reasons that they actually think abortion should be allowed. And we realize, and they can acknowledge that it then has nothing to do with the foster care system. And that's another way of kind of bringing the conversation back to abortion. Yeah, there are plenty of graceful ways to do it. Um, I would definitely say it does require just experience and going out and doing this for yourself. There are plenty of times where I've gotten trapped in these rabbit holes um, and sometimes where it was intentional, where like Andy said before, where we've already kind of gone over the morality, we've come to a fundamental disagreement and we're just kind of talking about more pragmatic things. Um, and that's that's fine to do as well, but I think it just comes with the experience. So uh, I would say first and foremost, identifying the red herrings, identifying when they're trying to get away from the abortion topic, and then using a couple of the examples we brought up to gracefully bring it back to where you're not just ignoring them. I don't ever, I don't, I don't ever think that pro-lifers simply ignoring the question and just saying, well, that doesn't matter. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about abortion and being aggressive, that it has never brought about good results from what I've seen. So I think you do have to address it in a graceful way while still bringing it back to abortion um, and kind of leading them. I know we talked about this last time, asking them questions so that they almost lead themselves back into abortion. Um, and I think the both the um, examples that Andy and I both brought up are good ways to do that gracefully to where you're answering the question, satisfying them, and still bringing it back to abortion. Awesome. So I have uh, one more question before we get into uh, requests. By the way, y'all, if you want to go ahead and uh, request uh, up to free, to come up and speak and ask your question live, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, if you don't feel as comfortable coming up and onto the stage and speaking and maybe doing that, that's totally fine. Feel free to uh, put your question into the chat. We'll address that. Uh, we'll address them as they come in. Uh, but this for this last question, uh, maybe Ev, you might be more, you may or may not be uh, more equipped for this. This is maybe a question geared more towards you because you are known, especially lately, more for communicating and, and speaking through videos rather uh, as well as lives, more so than probably uh, most people in uh, at least that are within our group. Uh, or have been doing it for a while. I do be posting videos. You do be posting videos. Do you see what what is like the carryover, like the shared qualities that you think that are held, like hold having the grace and everything, right, for having the live conversations, right? But 
there's obviously some strengths and some some give and take on both of these different mediums. What do you think are like what do you think carries over from the live conversations that we've been discussing, like how you should approach them and articulate um, to that carries over and translates over to making videos and responding to comments? Because I feel like that's, that's how most younger debaters and people who are getting on these platforms grow to begin with before they are able to actually get into a lot of these live conversations. Yeah, I think I definitely, and this is evident if you've ever seen me debate live and also seen my videos, I have a very different tone when I'm live versus when I'm doing videos. And I think this is true for everyone. And I think, I think it's kind of warranted. So when I'm live, I attempt, again, I'm not going to say I'm perfect at this, but I attempt to carry myself in a more respectful manner. I try to listen to people. I try to be more graceful about things. Obviously, we all know if people are super aggressive to me, I will clap back because that is who I am. But I always <laughs> attempt to at least start out the conversation very respectfully um, and hold myself gracefully. When it comes to videos, however, um, I think videos is a whole different game. I think that when you're um, when you're doing videos, things that are trying to um, reach more people, things that people can share very easily to other platforms, things that people can save, download to their phones, um, I think you still have to be obviously as as respectful as you can be but i think there's a certain type of assertiveness that is okay when you're doing videos and i see this again this is all political spectrums every person that i've seen they all carry themselves differently on lives um i think the reason behind that is there there's a plethora of maybe psychological reasons behind that but i think that it is okay when you're doing videos to number one make sure that you're doing something that's engaging and whether it's good or bad the things that are engaging in our culture are um are things that are very, I don't want to say aggressive, but like more assertive, right? They they kind of like the 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 sarcasm. They like the kind of poking fun at people. They like the uh, assertiveness, whatever it is. So I think that captivating your audience is a really great great um, a great thing to do. And a lot of times, captivating your audience does have to do with kind of making silly jokes, making silly videos. So a lot of times, I'll make videos that are just a couple seconds long, where I'm just offering a very quick, funny rebuttal. Um, and then I think that longer form videos are great. And in those videos, you can bring up more sources, and you can bring up more um, more more fill. Did we lose? Did we lose her? Hello. Hi. Uh, sorry, I got a phone call. Can you still hear me? Yes. Yeah, we hear. Okay. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I think so. Where was I? Um, Started to with, talk about the longer videos. Oh yeah. So with longer videos, I think that's where you can definitely start um, bringing in sources. I always make sure my sources are in my link tree, um, and I think that in that in the in the longer form videos that I do, which longer for TikTok is literally like two to three minutes, but whatever. In those longer form videos, I think that it's very, um, very important to make sure that you're um, giving like a full explanation. And I only do these things when I either get comments or stitches to my videos that seem good faith. If they're just trolling or if they're just very angry people with no arguments, I think it's okay to make videos and have fun with them. That's how you grow your platform. Sadly, it is, is by just kind of having fun with these other creators, making little jokes back and forth. Um, That's a good thing. But when you're actually focusing on the content itself, Um, I would look at Equal Rights Institute. They're a really great um, kind of template. Um, What they do on TikTok is very good because they have pretty much just one minute long videos, but they're all very informative. They've taken different kinds of perspectives. Um, 
there's a lot to go into with videos honestly i don't even know like i feel like i'm just rambling on and on well, um but there's a lot of different types of, of things that you can do and the ways you can approach the videos versus the lives do you think it's a strength that you have like or it's more advantageous especially in the earlier stages to do videos in in these kind of like when you're entering the discussions because it gives you the opportunity to kind of like watch them back and review whereas like you have to kind of be on the fly in these long in these live conversations like off the cuff yeah yeah I think that's that's yeah that's kind of uh Josh you said it better than I could that's kind of what I was trying to get at but kind of failed um with like when I was bringing in the sources or the more like long form philosophical like like backing up your stance um that's something that's a lot better to do with your videos um if you're trying to tackle a complicated subject um, very good to do that in video because you can edit, you can take things out, you can add things in, um, and you can make sure that what you're saying is is very honed in and almost perfected to the best of your abilities. I would say for anyone wanting to get into the um, the social media frenzy around abortion right now, I think that you all need to be making videos. I don't see it enough. I see a lot of pro-lifers going live. I don't see pro-lifers making videos. And videos last forever. People can download them. They can share them to other platforms. Videos are great ways to get your message spread everywhere because no one's really going to screen record a live. And even if they do, it's going to have the chat and it's going to be weird, right? So if you're a newer pro-lifer, doing videos where you can really think about your argument, you can slow down, you're not under pressure, you can edit it to your liking, and you can make sure you're saying exactly what you want to say. Videos are a great way. Not only do they grow your platform, as long as you're using the right hashtags, posting at good times, these kinds of things. And like I said before, kind of having like, you know, making little jokes or making it like entertaining, like thinking about the TikToks you like to watch that grab your attention, making it entertaining. Doing this is going to grow your platform um, and it's going to grow it enough to where you are have the ability to go live. And it's also going to prompt other people to respond to you to where you can kind of start to understand pro-choice arguments and how to rebut them. So yeah, make videos in short. That's basically all. Yeah, I think it's a great idea to especially making short uh, like one or two liner videos where you're kind of poking fun at something or you're just making a real quick statement that's engaging it's funny and it sparks either, you know, comments or conversation. I think those are great and probably one of the best ways to grow your platform and get people interested, um, whether it's to come back and watch your next video or to go see you on a live and hear more about what you have to say in depth. Um, I think those, those short, funny, entertaining videos um, are great for doing that. Yeah, and Andy is also good at this. Um, I think it's a funny thing that I'm trying to implement. I just suck at editing. But using relevant memes or relevant audios or just like, you know, kind of like culturally relevant things that people are interested in, especially younger people, um, and molding it to fit the pro-life agenda is a, a great, a great thing. Like I'll, I'll always, not always, but as much as I can, I'll use trending audios and I'll make them fit the pro-life um, stance, the pro-life argument. And those videos tend to get more views because I do them when they're trending. So TikTok is already pushing these videos out. People are already engaging in these videos. If they hear this audio, they're probably going to stop and watch. And some of them might be pro-choice. And you might, you know, have an entire debate in your comment section or have people stitch your videos. I know the, um, the, the past videos that have gotten the most views that I've made have all been from trending audios. So it's a very great thing. Also, something that Andy does is just finding memes or comedians or people who kind of have like funny little one-liners that they do and 
responding to a comment and just posting that video with it. These are great ways to get people engaged in your content. Yeah, like I've posted like one-liners from comedians that have talked about abortion in the past. Um, and like the person themselves might not even be pro-life, like they might be pro-choice, but the comment that they made was, you know, more of a pro-life comment. So I'll post something like that. And it, it tends to be very engaging because then you get people in the comments arguing, this person isn't even pro-life. You know, this is so ridiculous that you would post this. Uh, but then it it sparks the conversation and then you can kind of branch off into talking about whatever you want to talk about but it just yeah, brings most, people to the table yeah it's very hard um i found whenever i start to make longer form content as in like two to three to ten minutes whatever it is um those videos are important i think but they don't get as many views so i try and do i try and like sprinkle sprinkle some of the comedy videos in there um and yeah, it's just, it's a really great way to get people engaged. And then from those comments that you get, because people are inevitably going to comment angry stuff, um, it's a very good way to have more content. I always will go through and I'll favorite certain comments and then I'll go back to my favorites. And on a day where I'm feeling good and want to make content, I'll just make like four or five videos in a row. I'll save them for my drafts and then I'll post them slowly. That's another great way. I know that some of you are moms. Some of you might be busy with school or work. Another great way of doing that is to save um, comments that you want to respond to or videos you want to respond to and just on a day you have time busting out videos and saving them to your drafts no one's going to care if you're wearing the same shirt and you know six videos in a row no one cares so just you know doing that if you're if you're a busy person like i am is a really great way to have consistent content as well because we'll tiktok to, loves consistency we'll have to do a whole uh event on just doing i was videos. just gonna say like yeah it seems like we could probably do an entire discussion on just kind of growing your platform mm -hmm. yeah that'd be good i think that would be incredibly beneficial I, the, the the crazy thing is we've got so many like medium level uh to uh low uh follower count like almost everybody it's super easy to get your first thousand but it's if going up from there is is super tough you have to break through that we definitely will look into doing that now um, before also, we... I, I don't want to, before you move on to something else, I just want to make a quick comment here. Cause we were talking about like, you know, growing your platform and your follower account and all that. Obviously the more followers you have, the more people that are going to potentially have eyes on your content, but just in general, focus more on the engagement that you have rather than just the sheer follower content, because the engagement is really what matters. Sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The 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 repeated the repeated engagement too is what you're looking for too like the active followers yeah. and uh, also just super quick so i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> all good super duper quick with that i just want to say because i resonate with this a lot i have what like thirty four thousand followers but my engagement is not always great um and i think that partially it could be because of tiktok censoring me whatever but i think it's also Again, like we were saying with like consistency, I need to be posting more and also just posting things that are relevant to the times because too often I get sucked into like responding to things super in depth and then TikTok is like, oh, no one's watching these videos because you babble on for too long. So uh, now we're not going to show anyone your videos, right? So like just keeping that consistency um, and even when your views are down, still posting, even if only 100 people see your video, 50 people see your video, keep posting videos over and over and over as much as you can and making sure that the content that you're putting out is stuff that not only you believe in and that, um, you know, you're putting out videos that um, that you actually hold that stance. Try not to, you know, say things you don't actually believe in. 
Um, and then also like, yeah, conforming to kind of what's trending as well. Um, even if your views are down, um, just keep going because eventually they'll go back up. Okay, sorry, I'll, I'll shut up. You're good. All right, so um, we will have events going on uh, and we'll continue these events um, next week, obviously, Thanksgiving week. So during Thursday, I'm, I'm going to encourage everybody to just spend time with your families and your loved ones, your clumps of cells, uh, <laughs> all, all of the – all of that, um, and we will be taking a week off, and we will be getting back to it the following week, uh, and uh, making sure that we continue on with this series of events, which now we have a great idea for later on in just growing your platform. Uh, but expect for us to kind of go into each of like the arguments that are on the pro-choice side, like each of those stances. We'll be talking about fallacies and like basic fallacies and bad faith. We've got a bunch of stuff planned. So make sure that you not only stay active and alert in plan, but that you invite as many people as you can to who you know are pro-life uh, to uh, plan and get, get those tickets open so that we can get them uh, in and get them involved. If you have people that are more on the fence about things or – uh, are interested in like just talking to other people who they disagree with that happen to be pro-choice. We do have a, another server that we recommend to people to go to in Fair Debates. Andy owns that server, so getting all the plugs out of the way first. Uh, but let's move on to some questions. So uh, we have one question here. If a pro-choicer asks where do these rights come from, like as the like where does the right to life come from, and if they want a source on this. So I'm assuming that this question is asking like what do they do if uh, somebody comes in and asks uh, basically where do these rights come from to substantiate these rights? Uh, how would you all respond to that? So I think that this kind of does get into more um, philosophy, a more philosophical discussion. Um, but I would kind of almost take issue with the phrasing of that question, just where do these rights come from? Um, unless we're speaking um, from a religious standpoint, which is I think is okay to do if you're talking to other religious-minded people. But if you're not, um, I think that these rights don't necessarily come from anyone, right? We, I don't think that humans grant rights um, to other humans. I think these rights are something that we have discovered, something that we have discovered almost like math or philosophy or these other, you know, logic, these things that we've discovered. I think they're just inherent to our nature um, because we are humans, we are rational beings, um, and we've discovered these things. Um, I think that they are just inherent to our being, to what we are. They just exist because of what we are. Um, Andy can elaborate further if he wants to, but that's basically my basic answer to that. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with what you're saying here. And I would just say that the person on the other end is going to agree, um, typically that rights exist as well. They might, they might disagree on what rights exist or to what extent, but they're going to agree that rights in some capacity exist. Otherwise we wouldn't be talking about the supposed right to an abortion. Right. Um, so if they agree that rights in general exist, then we don't even have to talk about where these rights come from. We can just talk about why something should be a right or is a right and why something else is not. Yeah, for sure. I think that there's nothing wrong with even, you know, giving your answer if they don't accept your answer. Um, I wouldn't, well, obviously I wouldn't concede to them, but I would just say, okay, like if you disagree with, with my answer, um, then let's talk about yours. 
And most of the time, like Andy said, they're they're going to believe that they exist as well. So as long as we both agree that human rights exist, um, then I don't think we really need to even talk about where they come from. I think that the only thing that matters is when they begin and how far they extend. Most of the time, this is kind of a almost a red herring. It's not not completely a red herring, but it almost is because they're trying to get you to go down this philosophical rabbit hole when in reality they agree with you. They just disagree on when they start. All right. Um, just a quick reminder, if y'all are interested in coming up and asking a live question, which we encourage, absolutely we want to use all the tools that we can, and it gives us a kind of like a little bit of a, uh, you know, ways to play around with the tools in Discord and get more, uh, you know, familiar with them. There should be a request to come up on the stage option and button within your options as an audience member. So I can see all of those and I have enabled them. So if you get a, uh, if you feel like you yep. have a question and you want to address it, just hit that button. Go ahead. Ev. I think it's the little hand at the bottom of your screen. Yep. So, all right. Yeah. We have a couple of people here. Uh, so let's go ahead. The first person here we have Sky. Hey there, Sky. Hi. Um, my question was just um, to both of you. How would you attack the argument of um, bodily integrity or they say bodily intrusion? Oh, my goodness. Um, this is basically just going to be a bodily autonomy argument, but they're kind of honing it in to be more specific so that they don't have to concede to the um, hypotheticals and reductios that we give for bodily autonomy. Um, I haven't debated bodily integrity a whole lot, but from what I've heard debated and from what I have debated, um, I don't think that they're going to really be able to give any distinction between bodily integrity and bodily autonomy anyways. Normally, they say bodily integrity is like um, the right to, you know, refuse others from your bodily resources, as in like your internal like fluids or or energy or nutrients or whatever. Um, this is kind of a, a stupid argument, and it could have so many different reductios. So honestly, I would just, I would just go about it the same way we go about um, bodily autonomy reductios, just kind of more specified to to whatever argument they're making. Yeah, the people who are better debaters will acknowledge that there's not really a distinction between bodily autonomy and bodily integrity. People who aren't quite as good will try to make a distinction and just say that bodily integrity refers to excluding people from inside your body and using lethal force to exclude them. But then if you give them different scenarios, they will contradict themselves. Um, like if a child or somebody else puts their finger in your mouth, um, or I like to use the, the hypothetical of giving a wet willy, Oh, if somebody gives me a wet willy, can I shoot him in the head? Like, obviously not. And they agree that you can't do that. Um, but that's violating their bodily integrity. Uh, so that's going to be a contradiction in their stance. But then also we could just talk about, okay, well, how do you, when we talk about uh, bodily autonomy, they, they're just saying, oh, well, that's like performing an action. And you can just ask them, well, how do you perform an external action without using your internal resources, your organs, your energy, and everything else? So it's the same thing, and it's easy to show that there's not a clear distinction. They're exactly the same thing, even though they try to make them out to be something different. Yeah, for sure. They always harp on, like Andy said, the internal stuff. Um, but a very good thing to bring up is like chemical energy and simply like just your internal organs and um, everything in your body working. Um, the like I I cannot you know call someone for my baby or breastfeed my baby or give my baby formula or anything if my internal organs and all of my inside of my body isn't working. 
Um, so it, it really is the same thing as bodily autonomy. So if they bring up, oh, I'm only excluding people from the inside of your body. Well, like you would also be excluding everyone who's outside of my body because I have to use the inside of my body to help the people outside of my body, you know? So I think that definitely um, nailing down uh, that distinction, making them provide the distinction um, is a really good way to go about that. Yeah, that's a great response. Thank you guys. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Thanks for, for the question. Of course. If you have another one, feel free to request up. Uh, next up, come on up. So Andy, my question was, you're talking about earlier, I, I didn't hear your answer when I was talking about the mental um, exception. Um, so I didn't hear your answer all the way, but I also had another question with that. Like, what would you, how do I say it? This is why I, I couldn't type it in, because I don't know how to word it. You know, because I've heard a lot of, you know, the pro-choicers, um, you know, they bring up like, the depression that they want to uh, commit suicide because of it. Um, what would be the like a, a good reason with the mental to say, yeah, there there's a right to end this, uh, terminate the pregnancy, if you know what if you know what. It, yeah. So wow. when we're talking about the medical exception, we're only talking about physical health. We're not talking about mental health, um, and. Uh, we would just take this back to applying the same standard outside of utero. Nobody is going to agree that someone should be able to end their born child's life in order to um, improve their own mental health, right? Like we'll say, obviously mental health is important and we need to address those issues, but those issues should not, or the, sorry, the, the solution should not include ending your born child's life. And I would just hold that same standard inside of utero as well. Mental health is absolutely important. We need to address it, but the solution should not include ending your unborn child's life either. Um, now, if somebody says I'm going to end my life if I can't get an abortion, well, then we need to give them help. And that help may include institutionalizing someone for a period of time uh, in the same way that it might include that outside of utero as well. Um, you know, but we should we have to address the mental health issue. But the solution should never be to end your kid's life. So the follow-up, my follow-up question to that would be like, how far would you go to say for mental for mental health to not or to terminate to terminate the pregnancy? Well, I mean, I don't think mental health would ever be a justification for terminating the pregnancy. Yeah, it would only unless be you're going to like health. consider like. Um, a pregnancy-induced brain aneurysm or brain tumor. So, like, there could be no, like, mental, like, simply psychological issue that would justify killing someone. Because, like Andy said, like, always try and bring it outside of the womb and see how you would feel. If someone says, right. well, this woman is threatening to, you know, unalive herself, or I don't know what I can say in here, but just unalive herself if she can't get this abortion, just imagine if a mother like freaking Casey Anthony or something was like, well, I'm going to unalive myself unless I can kill my two-year-old. Like, okay, that's still not justified. Like you deserve mental health help. You deserve to um, be okay in yourself and get all the help that you need mentally, but you do not, you are not justified in killing someone else ever like that, that, you know, just try and bring it outside of the womb and see how you would feel. And then normally I would just use the answer you give outside of the womb and just apply it in the womb. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Sure. Yeah. Of course. 
that whole discussion reminded me that I live in like and was born in the same city that Andrea Yates lived. Like I literally used to work a couple of <laughs> streets down from where that happened. It's wild, man. It always Oh jeez. Yeah. Um yeah, so we've got a couple of things in the chat. Can we do an event on where you guys let us do a mock debate and help us? This is something that has been like I have personally considered already and haven't really discussed with um, Andy or even had any idea of like who would be there and how the format would go and um, uh, kind of the structure of it. But it's definitely something that we want to do. Um, also, bear in mind for everybody too that if at any time you feel like you want to set something up and you're going in and you have like a planned debate coming up, like you know you're going in to debate the specific person they know too and y'all are preparing and you need some you need some assistance we are always available to help um and to help prep and to help develop these skills we've been willing and able to do this since the inception of plan or the conception if you will um <laughs> so uh yeah if you if you ever want like to do a vc or if you want to request that uh at some point once we get the structure down that you come in, it may be something that we that we offer in on a first come first like like serve basis. But we'll we'll have to get together and kind of like figure that out. It's a great idea. I think it would be very very valuable for not just the people directly involved on the stage doing the debate, but for everybody watching as well because it's a very it's very different than watching a TikTok debate for for a multitude of reasons. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and that I could be a lot more helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It, and also I, I think when we do have those conversations with trying to improve our own debates or flush out an argument or something, it's important that we do that in venues like this, mm -hmm. um, where we we are kind of limiting the audience to ourselves while we work on our argument. And then once we've perfected that argument or decided what that argument is, we can go out and have those conversations with other pro-choicers. So if you're just trying to get some ideas, I would say pull up some different lives, watch, the, uh, there's a ton of different people in here, and then also just you know on different apps that you can listen to their debates and get some ideas. But then if you want to get some practice and flush out your own argument, you can either put it here in the chat um, you can ask somebody to VC with you. You can ask one of us to VC with you and kind of just talk through some of the arguments um, or mock debate. Uh, like Josh said, you know, we're, we're willing to do that you know, whenever we have time. Yeah, I, you, um, I would love to do that. If any of you ever, like I love mock debates. So if any of you ever want to just reach out to me, my DMs are always open, send me a friend request and I will answer you and we could just go through um, even like just basic debates, if you've never debated before, I know it's super nerve wracking. Um, so I can definitely be there to kind of help you through it. If you want a private VC or a VC in here, um, either one, I would absolutely love to do that with you guys. I want to see more strong pro-life debaters. Yeah, I think it'll be really cool to do mock debates. I think eventually at some point I would love to see like, and this is way down the line, but I would love to see us just do events where all of us are LARPing as pro-choicers and we have people come up and just go through and maybe give away a planned t-shirt 
for some of the top people that participate in Coliseum style debates. Let's yeah. do that. Like just like 50 <laughs> pro-choice or LARPing pro-choicers on one. Pro I'm kidding. <laughs> but like, and, like, and if you like are looking like for somebody, that would be fun. Yeah. If you are looking for somebody and you're not sure who to reach out to, you can always just put it in the chat and ask for somebody to reach out to, or we have a role um, that we kind of started not, not too long ago. Um, but there's a role called debater creator. Um, and it's some of the people that are more seasoned with debates and have uh, are a little more knowledgeable in um, the topic, the information, and then just either hosting or actually engaging in the debates themselves. So anybody with that role, feel free to reach out to them and know that they are um, a valuable resource for the, having these conversations. One more shameless plug uh, for those of you also who have been paying attention to the events. If you have not and you don't know where they are listed, if you go into where you would go into all of the VCs and where you would go into all the text chats, if you scroll all the way up, you should see a list of events. Pro-life, uh, the pro-life movement has a number of like the biggest events of the year coming up. If you haven't already made plans and you, there's still time to go to the March for Life in D.C., uh, which also um, following the March for Life, uh, I believe it's like the day after, uh, is the Pro-Life Summit where you where not only will members of Plan B there at both the March and the summit, but you're going to see the biggest it's, – it's really the best place. Andy and I went last year. I can – I still, I just pulled open my drawer. I still have documents that I have yet to reference and yet to make um, notes on and read through. It is so much information. It's so beneficial. It's great for networking. There's going to be speakers there. Some of the bigger names in the pro-life movement are there. If you can make it out to DC, I highly recommend that you consider uh, doing this. If not, there's always, always, always opportunity, especially during the beginning of the year, to do local marches for life right march for life is not just a single event that happens in dc that's just the biggest and main one there are others that happen all across the united states check with your state uh if you need help looking for that type of information just post in our uh in our text chats in the general chat in abortion you know wherever we will get you that information uh so next question how do we further explain or define capacity other than the definition maximum one can hold? Um, yeah, so I think that when we're saying capacity, I don't even know fully. Like, I think that the maximum amount something can hold or contain, I think that that's like a, a very broad uh, definition of capacity. I don't think it's wrong. But when I'm talking about capacity, I'm talking about the ability within one's nature. So when I say nature, I'm talking about basically like the observable facts of a certain thing. So we would talk about humans. Clearly, it is an observable fact that we hold this um, intrinsic like characteristic of um, like, for instance, like higher rationale, um, consciousness, intelligence, sentience, all these things kind of bundled into one. But the biggest one I focus on is higher rationale. Um, so I think that it's not simply about just like, oh, the maximum um, it can con contain because a lot of times that makes pro-choicers think, you know, it's only about potential, um, which is not only about that, right? So I think that just talking about the ability that, for instance, the zygote, the embryo, the fetus, the ability that these beings have within their nature 
is what we're worried about because, um, and I think pro-choicers agree with this as well. Pro-choicers will also value this thing. They'll either value the consciousness or the higher rationale or both. Um, and they, they just value it in the future as well because they're going to value newborn babies, but newborn babies can't do any of these things, right? So they value it in the future as well. They value the ability in the nature of that newborn baby. Um, so yeah, I think that just talking about the ability that we have because we are human is a good way to go about explaining um, what we mean by capacity. Yeah. And when we say the maximum that one can hold, or I would, I usually just say the maximum that one can achieve. We're talking about this, not at an individual level, but on a species level. So just being a member of our species means that you have this capacity and all the things that Evelyn was just talking about. So again, it's not on an individual level, because obviously we know that people are going to actualize this to different degrees, um, certainly uh, throughout you know their developmental stages, it's going to be actualized at different degrees earlier on. Um, but we're talking about this as a species level. Yeah, like what has been observed, right? Because people always say like, oh, well, like we don't know if this individual is going to do this thing. Like they could die or they could have a disability or whatever. Um, that's all just stuff like that just means that they're not understanding the argument. It is no one can deny that it is an observable fact um, that humans have this thing um, called like higher rationale or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so like there's just no reason why we wouldn't value um, and give rights to human beings even before they have this thing. Right. When we know that it's intrinsic within themselves to have this thing. Yeah, because if we're going off of what has been actualized, then we don't even have to talk about in utero. We can talk about born children as well, because yeah. born children have actualized less, you know, higher rationale than a lot of different animals that also like that don't have rights. Yet we give rights to the born child. Everyone is going to give rights to the born child. So it's not about the actualization. It is about what they uh, the maximum that they can achieve, or like Ev said, the what we've observed the species to have as a whole, uh, and they do this as well. They're just, for some reason, not applying it prior to whatever they're putting the cutoff. Awesome. So we got one more question, and that is, where can we get a plan shirt? And Andy, I see that you've addressed this already, but um, I want to make sure that everybody is aware that like we have, we have like the materials to do this we've just got to put them to put them together and stuff and generally we we have we have the stuff to do shirts and i think we can do like other um kind of like tops right like hoodies right andy we have enough for that yeah i mean we can we can see we can see what kind of interest there is for different things and maybe put something together and, and get stuff out to people. If, if there's an interest for different stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, honestly, even if there's not a huge interest, we can, I can still put a smaller order together. Yeah. We need to get a suggestion box in for the, uh, <laughs> for here, just in case if anybody has any ideas, I'd buy a hoodie today. Yeah, that is great. We actually, yeah. We, well, it won't be available today, it will but not. we can try to make, something available shortly yeah if you see my profile picture that's me at the march for life after i was given a uh uh a baby doll wrapped in a hotel shower curtain <laughs> by a pro-choicer trying to get stopped on it so you can't really see the hoodie itself but the quality are fantastic and i mean dc especially around that time it's cold i did not need an extra jacket that i mean 
Andy did a great job sourcing the, the, the hoodies and the shirts. The shirts are great. Um, you know, I've washed and dried my shirt just to kind of test on how well it holds up, holds up great in the wash. So we will be getting those together, you know, if not before March for life, then after we'll definitely have some for people that are around and, and want stuff that they let us know ahead of time that they're going to be there and it's guaranteed. We can make sure that they at least get a shirt. Um, so yeah. Thank you. I, yeah, I, I can work on trying to get something together and we can get some materials and maybe get some out to people. Yeah. We appreciate the design. That was a, that was a joint effort by Andy and I, when we first founded plan over a year ago. All right. Um, so also take note, uh, black Friday is coming up. And for those of you that missed the post earlier, if you are coming to March for life, I highly recommend, and you are interested in going to the pro-life summit, black Friday, green Friday, whatever you want to call it. The day after Thanksgiving, where everything goes on sale and plus cyber Monday, black Friday. Hold on. Hold on. Did you say green Friday? Yeah. It's a retail term. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Not, not all of us, not, not all of us can avoid being plebs. All right. (laughs) Um, but black Friday, the pro-life summit tickets go on sale and i'm not entirely sure indy do you remember she said like they were half off or anything no i don't think i I don't know what the i don't know what the discount will be um but we are told that on black friday there will be um the tickets will be discounted for the pro-life summit yep so that is the perfect time to buy and you want to get in there quick so i would say we need to actually get with her and see what time that goes live because I have a feeling that those tickets are going to go quick and they are limited. Last time we checked a couple of weeks ago, there were only about two, like a little over 200 tickets. So make sure that you go in and that you get them and sign up and make sure that you sign up. If you don't have another organization, just sign up under plan pro life advocacy network, not just plan. Okay. Um, other than that, I think, uh, I just want to thank everybody for showing up. Uh, We will be returning to these events again after Thanksgiving. Until then, feel free to, uh, you know, post in our general chat if you have any questions, if you have anything that you want to add, um, any suggestions, anything like that. Keep posted, stay active, and don't forget to invite uh, people to plan. We are getting through tickets very effectively now that we are becoming a lot more active in here. Uh, and so as we expand and as we grow and as people want to take more initiative and maybe helping the organization grow, uh, we will have roles and be looking for people who are willing to, who are wanting to step up and maybe be a modern here if they provide a level of value. So just throwing that out there. Uh, but hopefully this has been great for everybody that you've learned something that you're able to have a better understanding of the pro-life stance uh, and are able to articulate this a little bit better in the coming discussions that hopefully you all will be having because we all want to grow the movement as we've taken some pretty heavy hits as pro-lifers in the past couple of months uh, with issue one and others. I've also been informed too uh, as of like 
36 hours ago, there is something very similar to issue one that happened in Ohio coming in on the ballots for Arizona. So it's all the more important that we speak up and have these discussions and, and try and uh, make sure that this message is heard in the best way, in the graceful way, in a way that we can truly change both hearts and minds. So enough of my long-windedness. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Ev, Andy, for, uh, for joining us and for giving your expertise and your advice and your perspective. Uh, do you all have any final thoughts? I just wanted to add one thing is as we're having these events, if somebody has uh, thoughts on something they think would be a good topic for one of these, definitely let us know. Give us some suggestions. We're open to hearing anything. We're, we're holding these calls to, to try to help everybody um, be more effective and have better conversations with the other side. So if there's something that you in particular need help with or you think it would be good to have a conversation about, let us know and we will try to make that happen. Yeah, the only thing I want to say is uh, make videos, guys. I want to see more pro-life content. It's super important. Get your name out there. Get your face out there. Make arguments. Uh, make make videos. We will also, if we don't already have one, I feel like we do, but we need to make a uh, chat for um, people to post their um, their ads for for all of their social media. Whether that be whether you're posting on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitter, or X now. Um, but whatever you want, um, we will look into maybe possibly doing that so everybody can share that and we can all follow each other and make sure that we support everybody, push that algorithm for everybody. All right. Um, so thanks everybody for tuning in again, keep an eye out for the next event. It will probably be announced sometime after Thanksgiving, but, uh, if you are wanting to set up that, that call or just talk or anything, remember chats are always open. Thanks so much. Y'all have a great night. Happy Thanksgiving and happy almost weekend. We'll talk to y'all soon.